Welcome to Technovation. I'm Peter High. My guest today is James Sills, the President and Chief Executive Officer of MNF Bank and MNF Bank Corp, roles he's held since 2014. Prior to his current role, Jim was a Cabinet Secretary and Chief Information Officer for the State of Delaware Department of Technology and Information. Jim was responsible for providing strategic direction and management for information technology operations, supporting over 34,000 end users. In 2014, he was selected IT Executive of the Year by Government Technology Magazine. He's been an entrepreneur, as well as an executive vice president at MBNA America Bank, which is now part of Bank of America. Jim sits on numerous boards, including the North Carolina State Chamber of Commerce and the Federal Reserve Bank of Richmond, among a variety of institutions. Jim Sills, welcome to Technovation. It's a wonderful to speak with you today. Thank you, Peter. It's great to be here. And now for a word from our partner, Tanium, and the company's co-founder and chief executive officer, Orion Hindawi. Orion wanted to take a moment to provide some recommendations for CXOs in charge of technology and digital about how best to manage the cybersecurity landscape. Yeah, so our customers, I think, are realizing there are three things that they really need to be secure. The first is they have way too many products. And as a result of that, they're unable to operate all these products well, and there are holes in their security posture that are created as a result. Many of our customers have 20 or 30 or sometimes 50 different tools. And if they can move to a platform approach, they have a much higher chance of succeeding. The second thing that a lot of our customers are realizing is they need certain visibility on their environment. Every asset where it is, who's using it, what data's on it, what vulnerabilities it has, and to really be able to trust that they have three or four nines confidence in that data set instead of, in some cases, 85 or 90% confidence, which in reality leaves way, way too much of a surface area of vulnerability. And the third one is they need to be able to remediate problems they find instantaneously at scale, globally, even over slow links, even over devices that are not easy to reach. Because without that capability, unfortunately, even if you know that there's a problem, you're still gonna get hit by the security event that comes after it because you can't fix it in time. And so between that platform approach, being able to have really, really comprehensive visibility and having really strong control, our customers are seeing a huge upgrade in their capability. And now on to the interview. Excellent. Well, Jim, for those who may be less familiar with MNF Bank and MNF Bank Corp, maybe you could give a, just a brief overview of the business and its mission. Uh, sure. Uh, MNF Bank is the second oldest African-American-owned bank in the United States. It's been in business 114 years. Uh, we are a regional community bank. We're located in the five largest markets of North Carolina. So we're located in Charlotte, Raleigh, Durham, Winston-Salem, and Greensboro. The bank has always been a commercial bank. So 90% of our loan portfolio is commercial. And so um, the bank was started with the mission of providing access to capital to entrepreneurs so they can expand their business, grow their business, acquire businesses, and really uh, help the communities that, uh, that they serve. Um, we're about uh, $340 million in total assets. Uh, we have uh, 75 employees. I'm passionate about what I do. I get to see the tangible results of what I do every day in terms of providing access to capital to small and medium-sized businesses. And so when you work in a big bank, a lot of times you don't get to see the end customer and the results of what you do uh, for community in terms of providing access to capital. 
And what an interesting year it has been uh, this past year, especially for small and medium-sized businesses. I can only imagine an institution like MNF Bank is uh, critical for a lot of these organizations uh, simply to continue and hopefully see a better day on the other side of the pandemic. Uh, maybe you could talk a bit about some of the lessons and learnings of the past year, if you would. You know, one thing I'll say, Peter, is that uh, our customers and our associates adapted very rapidly. And that was a really pleasant surprise. Uh, so uh, we've seen an increase of about 30% of our customers utilizing our digital tools like online banking, mobile banking, and our ATMs. Um, but it was a lot of communications. I think uh, all leaders during this, you know, the last uh, 14 months or so, they've probably done, they've been doing a whole lot of communication with their stakeholders, their shareholders, um, their associates and their customers to just put them at ease that we're here to serve you. And so uh, I've been doing a lot of that, a lot of outreach and a lot of uh, over communications. And, and you obviously, as I mentioned in, at the outset, uh, have a, or have been steeped in and immersed in technology yourself. You've begun to allude to some of the digital tools that uh, were essential during, during especially I would imagine the early stages of the pandemic uh, and the quarantine associated with it. Talk a bit about um, your own vision for the digital customer experience and digitization of banking, more generally speaking. Yeah, you know, um, it's it's really interesting how all of a sudden, you know, because of the pandemic, you have to accelerate your digital offerings. And all banks and all companies are actually going through this. And so just imagine we did not have DocuSign. So now we have it. Um, our customers needed the ability to make an appointment because our branch lobbies are still not open. And so they have to make an electronic appointment on a calendar system through our website. Um, we also participated in the Paycheck Protection Program. Uh, and so that allowed us to uh, um, make loans to about 200 different firms in 16 different markets all across North Carolina. We saved about 1,400 jobs. And so it's, it's been a really interesting year, but we really leveraged technology to do all of that. Most of it was just uh, email communications, text, uh, Zoom meetings, you know, and, uh, and, it, and, it, and it actually worked. And uh, people were extremely appreciative that we had kind of made that transition to help them utilizing those digital tools. Were there any surprises? I know that some institutions, there, you know, there's been sort of a belief that uh, uh, digital business is primarily the domain of, you know, Gen Y or the the millennial, so to say. Um, obviously, you serve a, a wide array. I, I imagine uh, a quite quite a spectrum of of ages um, uh, across your your customer base. Any interesting insights as to the rates of adoption um, over the past year, or any kind of you know kind of inherited wisdom as to uh, how digitally savvy uh, different age groups might be that were, were called into question as a result of, of faster adoption that might have been expected? Yeah, you know, I have a great story. Um, one of our customers is about, and we have a wide range of customers here, but one of our senior customers is about uh, 80 years old. He used to drive into one of our branch locations that was about 15 miles away from his home. And so one day he said, is there another way for me to actually make a deposit of this check so I don't have to drive into the branch? And so uh, we talked him through over the phone how to take a picture of the check with his smartphone. 
and he just couldn't believe how easy it was. And the, and the funny part of this story is that his wife had been utilizing the mobile deposit feature for years. And uh, he said, you know what? Um, I'm really impressed that your bank has this type of technology and it's a whole lot easier for you know, even people of my age to actually utilize it. And so we saw a number of uh, comments like that uh, from all types of business owners and nonprofit people and churches and you know, individuals who were utilizing our technology. And they really weren't aware that we had a lot of these technology capabilities and how easy they were to actually leverage. Very interesting. Jim, during this, uh, what has been a very difficult time for so many businesses, I wonder if you could talk a bit about uh, how your institution, MNF Bank, has performed across the past uh, year or so. Uh, to tell us a bit about uh, how, how, how things have been. You know, although, you know, 2020 and going into 2021 has been a, an extremely challenging year for the banking industry, we actually had one of our best years in 2020 compared to 2019. Our total assets actually increased uh, 16% uh, uh, year over year. And for the first quarter of 2021, our total assets are up an additional 7%. Um, what's the, the reason for this is that large scale corporations, um, small and medium sized businesses, nonprofits, local businesses are um, understanding our mission and, and how we provide access to capital to uh, all kinds of communities all across North Carolina, and they're getting behind our mission. And, and that's what's driving that growth. And a lot of it is just deposits with our institution to help our institution provide access to capital to small and medium-sized businesses. So it's actually been exhilarating, uh, even though it's been a very, very challenging uh, you know, past 14 months. Uh, so uh, I'm, I'm excited about the future. You mentioned at the outset, uh, Jim, that yours is the second oldest minority-owned bank uh, in the U.S. Very, very interesting. And what, what a trying time this past uh, year, 18 months has been, especially for uh, minorities in our, in our society here in the United States. Um, you were a, a, a black executive. Uh, you've clearly uh, risen to enormous heights across your career in a number of different institutions. Um, I wonder if you could reflect on the past year and some of the learnings uh, for, for you personally and some of your own reflections as to uh, kind of where things stand currently in terms of uh, racial injustice and social inequity, especially as someone who's playing such a, an important role in, in providing uh, opportunities for people to start their own businesses and, and uh, uh, live better lives. You know, 2020 going into 2021 has been a challenging year for everyone. Uh, as an African-American executive uh, and, and as, a, as a leader, um, I've had to kind of take a step back and kind of look at the whole spectrum of kind of what's going on because our employees have been stressed, our customer base has been stressed, our industry because of the pandemic, but also the social unrest has been stressed. Uh, we had a topsy-turvy political year also. So when you just layer all of those three things on top of the year, um, it was really a challenging year. And so, you know, we met with our employees um, uh, twice a week through Zoom calls for at least seven months last year. 
we still do it once a week. We actually had a call this morning and we talked about uh, the, um, the case, uh, George, George Floyd's uh, murder case that's pending right now, what the potential outcome could be. And um, we're really uh, optimistic that um, this country can move forward if we can get past this George Floyd uh, murder trial with uh, the right verdict. Uh, so um, it, it was stressful for everybody. And I, I think it was super important for my management team to kind of reflect back, you know, how are our employees doing? Because they're working from home, they're, they're uh, educating their kids at home, they're doing their jobs. Plus we have all this other stress on top of it, including the pandemic. And so uh, I, I really had to dig deep on some of my leadership skills and listening and, and soft skills to, to show empathy for kind of what's going on real time, really every single day uh, from March of last year through today. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I'm curious also if you have any advice for, I know there are a lot of businesses and perhaps one of the silver linings for a very trying time to say the least might be additional emphasis put towards providing opportunities for minorities in the United States. And I wonder if you have any reflections on uh, places to begin or places to continue for, for those who would wish to identify uh, better resources to leverage, uh, partnerships to establish uh, in order to find great qualified uh, minority staff um, across various kinds of businesses. A any ideas there, Jim, that you'd care to share? It, there's, there's a number of ideas. Um, I think it's important that uh, as leaders and CEOs and CIOs and various organizations that you engage your minority population or your diversity population in your respective firms. You know, this, the racial, the social unrest that's happening in this country is not going to go away. And so it's very important that you stay engaged, that you still listen to kind of what's going on out in the media. Um, your employees are actually stressed because of reliving this whole George Floyd, the video and all the commentary all over again. It's, it's a very stressful situation for people of color. I think it's important to partner with small and medium-sized businesses that are located in your respective uh, geographies. Uh, look at your supplier diversity programs. See if you can partner with um, uh, local uh, historically black colleges and universities in your local areas. Uh, you know, encourage uh, more communications between your management team and diverse um, aspects of your uh, of your company. And I think over time, it'll definitely get better and it'll show that that corporation and the leadership really cares and they understand kind of what's going on right now. Mm -hmm. great, great advice. Thank you so much for sharing that, Jim. Um, I want to talk a bit about your, your um, experience in technology. You've had such an interesting and varied career. Uh, you spent time in the early part of your career in, in information technology. You took on more traditional uh, business roles and, and managed P&Ls. Uh, you then were the chief information officer of the state of Delaware, as I mentioned earlier. Talk a bit about that uh, evolution leading to the role as CIO of a state uh, and a bit of background on, on, on the roles that you held that led to that, if you would. And I started off my career, the first seven years, I actually was in various IT roles. So my first job in IT, I was a statistician, I became a programmer, then 
programmer analyst and a network analyst and then a decision support manager. Uh, so I always had that kind of uh, IT heavy duty operational IT experience. But one day really early in my career, I said, I wanna do what he's doing. And I was working in a, in a local bank in Wilmington, Delaware, and the person was a commercial lender. And he was going out and playing golf and leaving early and you know he's interfacing with customers and um, that's how I kind of got onto the banking side and then when I um, uh, I actually rose to be the uh, chief operating officer of a of a community bank and also the CEO of a of a community bank in Memphis Tennessee uh, when I went back to MBNA they looked at my background and they said you know you have half of your experience has been related to community banking and the other half has been related to technology. And so they put me back in technology and I was the director of project management. And that was a, a perfect role for me because it was, a, it, was a, it was a good balance of business skills, but also the technology skills and project management touches all aspects of technology because when you're managing a product, a, 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 a project, you have to interface with all the various disciplines within a technology organization. So it was, it was a nice transition. And then when I was able to become the CIO, which is the top IT leader for the state of Delaware, it was kind of natural for me to, to go you know, take on that role. And again, you know, the governor, he really wanted someone who had um, the experience involved in heavy IT, but also the empathy and the knowledge to understand how do the end users and the end customers leverage technology to make their lives better. And so uh, I really enjoyed that role. It exposed me to all facets of the government, all branches of the government. Jim, uh, we'd love to understand some of the things that you and your team worked on while you were in that role. Clearly, you, you, while you were in the role, you achieved some acclaim. You, I mentioned the award that you were, you were given uh, towards the conclusion of your time in that role. Uh, talk a bit about some of what you and the team accomplished as, uh, during your time as CIO of the state of Delaware. Yeah, thank you. Uh, we had, I had a great team. Um, we, um, and I'm dating myself a little bit, but uh, we were one of the first states to 100% virtualize all of our uh, servers. We had um, um, a lot of physical servers. We moved them to virtual machines, moved them to the cloud. Uh, we were one of the first states to actually require all of our employees to um, uh, take uh, cyber training. And we used to test them on some of our cybersecurity uh, training um, information. Um, we were one of the first states to actually start the bring your own device. Um, we also implemented um, uh, a $75 million ERP system that touched all aspects of the government. Um, and we moved a lot of our um, individual pieces of software to software as a service. So we brought in a lot of different cloud uh, platforms uh, that would make it easier for us to roll out uh, various uh, applications a lot easier across, you know, thousands and thousands of end users. So it was, it was an interesting time during that time period. Indeed, indeed. Well, I wonder if you could also reflect on, as you, as you look to the future, what are some trends that particularly excite you, uh, technology trends in particular, that, that, that you're excited about as you, as you look to the future, Jim? You know, for us, uh, we want to we build scale. 
Um, and we think leveraging technology, we can do that by leveraging um, artificial intelligence, machine learning, um, more mobile adoption, more mobile apps where you're able to apply for a loan, fund the loan, sign the disclosure all on, all on your phone. Uh, so we think that's really the future of our bank is can we make the right investments to make it easier for our customers to do business with us? That makes sense. And, and do you uh, have sort of a series of an ecosystem that you turn to uh, of partners to bring some of that to life in addition to the people that are on your staff? We do. We have a number of uh, partnerships and banking associations that have, you know, innovation committees and digital optimization committees and technology committees, and they give us all kinds of recommendations and they vet some of the various vendors for us and then we check them out and then we kind of make the decision. But we're, we're right in that sweet spot right now of kind of looking at our current processes. We have a current firm coming in to uh, evaluate um, some of our processes looking through the lens of Six Sigma. And then we're gonna start making some very strategic investments of how we can actually uh, roll out various uh, technologies to make it easier and less stressful for our employees, but easier for our customers. Hmm. Well, James Sills, thank you so much for a terrific conversation covering your time as a CEO of a bank, uh, your time as a CIO at the state level, as an entrepreneur and an executive across multiple organizations. Uh, your reflections on what has been a really trying year, but, but notes of optimism looking forward. Uh, it's been a really interesting conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you, Peter, again for having me. Really enjoyed the interaction.